California Governor Gavin Newsom is fighting for his political career as a September recall election threatens to upend his tenure. Nothing is enjoyable about facing this recall, but I don't know if there's anything I could have done to avoid it. It's not California's first recall, but it comes when there's never been so much at stake. 100% of California is now in a drought, and if you could believe it, it could get even worse. Both the housed and unhoused say politicians have turned their backs on them. San Francisco is one of the top 10 cities in the country for organized retail crime. All as the Golden State struggles to regain its footing during a pandemic with no end in sight. I'm Austin Cross with KPCC in Los Angeles. Today, we'll examine how we got here, how the election will go down, and what's at stake for California and the nearly 40 million people who call it home. That's coming up on Countdown California, Recall 2021. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation. And that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can. All right? Thanks. From KPCC in Los Angeles, this is Countdown California, your guide to the 2021 recall election. I'm Austin Cross. Yes, we are actually doing this again. 18 years after California voted to remove Governor Gray Davis from office and replace him with an action star, ballots have now arrived in our mailboxes, giving us an option to oust Gavin Newsom. And if you look at the polls, there is a very real chance that could happen. Governor Newsom is in a tight race to hold on to his office. Support for the recall is growing. But less than one month until the recall election, a new CBS News poll shows how Californians are feeling about the effort to oust the governor. The poll says the recall effort is only trailing by four points, 48% yes to 52% no. And it finds Republican voters care a lot more about this election than Democrats do. How close the recall turns out to be depends on exactly one thing and only one thing. And that is whether Democrats take the time to vote. The greatest threat to our governor does seem to be apathy. A lot of people aren't even aware that an election is happening. And if they do, it's not clear what the stakes are. And frankly, why it even matters to them. People are tired. We get that. We're tired. It has been a long year and a half. But if you care about whether or not we have a sudden change of leadership in this state, you really got to exercise your civic duty. So we're going to help. In the next hour, we're going to talk about how we got to this point, the process for voting, and what happens next. First up, how to vote. There are only two questions on the ballot, but there's still a lot of confusion. So to help sort it out, we have KPCC senior politics reporter Libby Dankman. Hey, Libby. Hey, Austin. And Laurel Rosenhall, who covers politics for Cal Matters, a nonprofit news site covering California. Hey, Laurel. Hi there. All right, Libby. Election Day, September 14th. But there's a whole lot of ways people can easily vote in this election and do it early, right? That's right, Austin. Just like during the 2020 election for president, every California voter who is registered and active has been mailed a ballot for this recall election. Now, if you don't have that in your mailbox yet, I would start thinking about contacting your registrar. You can drop those ballots off in a secure ballot drop box in many counties across the state. You can mail them back with no postage required or you can go in person because there will be in-person opportunities to vote before the actual Tuesday, September 14th election. And Laurel, there are two questions on this ballot. It's really complicated for us for some reason, but there are just two questions on this ballot. What are they? The first question is, do you want to recall Gavin Newsom? That's just a yes or no question. And just to be really clear, because sometimes people get this backwards, if you answer yes, that means you want to kick Gavin Newsom out of office. If you answer no, that means you want him to stay in office. The second question is, 
if he is recalled, who would you want to replace him? And on that question, you'll see a list of 46 candidates to choose from. Gavin Newsom is not one of them, so you can't pick him. But you can pick any one of those 46 names on the ballot. And it's really important for people to know that you can pick a candidate no matter how you answer question one. So you get to answer question one, yes or no, and then you get to pick a candidate, only one candidate, regardless of how you answer the first question. And just to be clear, Libby, very, very clear, the only way Governor Gavin Newsom can hold on to his job is if more than 50 percent of voters vote no on this recall, right? Yes, that's right. But the winner of the second question only needs a small plurality. And so, again, you could see the next governor of California, if this recall is successful, having something like 15, 20 percent of the vote. And that'll raise a lot of questions about the kind of mandate that they have to really govern the state. So, Laurel, unlike in 2003 when Cruz Bustamante ran as a Democrat against Gray Davis, Democrats have not supported another candidate in this race. What is the California Democratic Party's position here, especially on how to answer that question number two? Yeah, the Democratic Party and Newsom are aligned on this. They're urging voters to simply vote no on question one, leave the second question blank, and turn in their ballots. Now, when you look at your ballot, you'll see that there are several people on the ballot who are Democrats. They're registered Democrats. They're just not endorsed by the California Democratic Party, nor do they really have any establishment backing. For the most part, they don't really have much money or even any polling information on them. The one exception to that is Kevin Paffrath. He's a a YouTube personality who has a popular YouTube channel on um, financial advice and real estate investing. So he is a Democrat and he has some done some significant fundraising and is being asked about in the polls. He's running his own campaign totally separate from the Democratic Party establishment. And Laurel, I know just from talking to family and friends about this, despite what Governor Gavin Newsom has said, some people are really unsure about whether to leave it blank. Based off of what you've learned, what should people keep in mind as they consider their vote here? Yeah, this is a question that's definitely creating a lot of consternation for voters, especially voters who are, you know, on the left end of the political spectrum who are not wanting to vote for a Republican. Most of the prominent replacement candidates are Republicans. So people should read up on who the choices are and then think about whether they want a potential governor to be elected by a very small number of voters or whether they want to have their own voice heard on who should lead the state. You're listening to Countdown California, your guide to the 2021 recall election. I'm Austin Cross coming to you from KPCC in Los Angeles. And with me is Libby Dankman, senior politics reporter for KPCC and Laurel Rosenhall, who covers politics for Cal Matters. Now, Laurel, about those candidates running to replace Newsom, you already mentioned Kevin Pathrath earlier. Who are some of the other leading candidates in this race? So there's about a half a dozen who are the most prominent. There's John Cox, who is a Republican businessman who ran against Newsom in 2018 and lost a by a margin of about two to one. Of course, there's Larry Elder. He's leading in the polls. He's a conservative talk radio host. Kevin Faulkner is the former mayor of San Diego. He's a Republican known as a moderate. He was anti-Trump early on, became supportive of Trump in 2020. And he's trying to appeal to voters across the political spectrum to independents and Democrats, arguing that he you know, worked with Democratic City Council in San Diego. And then there's Kevin Kiley. He's a Republican assemblyman from the suburbs of Sacramento. He sort of has made a name for himself in the last couple of years by suing Gavin Newsom and being one of the leading voices against Newsom's use of executive power during the pandemic. Libby, not that long ago, you went to a fundraising event for Larry Elder in Newport Beach, California. What kind of reception did he get from potential voters there? Who turned out? 
Well, this was a invite list that was controlled by the campaign. It was at a private home of a real estate developer named Buck Johns, who's really a power broker in Republican politics in Orange County. And so, of course, this was a very positive Larry Elder crowd. I heard from folks who really appreciated his communication style. He, of course, is a longtime radio talk show host, knows how to spin a yarn. Elder also said he would go up against the powerful teachers unions in California. He used Scott Walker from Wisconsin as a primary example of somebody he would emulate. And he said he would repeal vaccine mandates before his first, quote, cup of tea in the morning because he doesn't drink coffee. And so somebody who is really staking a far right counterpoint to Newsom in this race. But Laurel, is Larry Elder or really any of the candidates generating the same kind of buzz that Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in 2003? No, they're not. They're really all kind of polling under 20 percent, and many of them are polling under 10 percent. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the biggest movie star of the time, at the time that he ran. He also had a really sophisticated, experienced, you know, Republican political team behind him. We're just not seeing the same kind of coalescing behind a candidate in this race that we saw then. You know, Libby, the northeast part of the state and the Central Valley voted for John Cox over Gavin Newsom back in 2018. And those counties produced relatively high numbers of recall signatures, It seems likely people in these counties will move to fire Newsom, but what about voters in Southern California? Well, we know that the candidates are spending a good amount of time in Los Angeles County and in Orange County and in the Southern California part of the state. This is somewhere they see a good number of undecideds, of folks who are no party preference voters who might be able to be swayed. In terms of Los Angeles itself, Berkeley polled enthusiasm, folks who were very excited for voting in this recall election. Now, Los Angeles was not as enthused and not as aware of the election, but it was definitely ahead of places like the Bay Area, which clocked in at the lowest enthusiasm back in July. Uh, Orange County extremely fired up, according to this polling, for the election And that's something that Republicans are going to be counting on. Of course, this was a polling that was taken in July, and that's before Newsom really turned on the tap of money and his awareness and turnout campaign that's been going on with television ads and stumping around the state in the past few weeks. So given all that we've discussed here, my closing question to you is this. How close is this recall election? Laurel, I'll start off with you. Well, Really, it depends on how many people vote. So Republicans know about this election. They're extremely excited about it. There is a lot of enthusiasm among them to throw Newsom out of office. If they're the only ones who vote, then this is going to be very, very close. If the entire electorate of California votes, then it won't be close and Newsom will win. That's reporter Laurel Rosenhall, who covers politics for the online news site Cal Matters, and Libby Dankman, senior politics reporter for KPCC and LAist. Thank you both. You can find more information on how to vote in the 2021 recall election at laist.com slash voter game plan. That's L-A-I-S-T dot com slash voter game plan. We'll be right back after the break with a look at the political landscape that got us to this point where we are again looking at a recall of a California governor. Stick around. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry. The Parker Edison Project. Listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, 
but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. I'm Marla Kings from Sacramento. I feel Gavin Newsom has let us down. He sure hasn't done much to support small businesses, especially businesses with less than 50 employees. It's all talk. But that said, I have no idea what our other choice is. They're all bad. I am Joey from Sacramento, California. I would say regarding the recall election, I'm both uninterested and voting. I turned in my ballot this morning. And voting in this election, I think of it like cleaning your bathroom. It's not fun, it's not interesting, but you'll be sorry if you don't. My name is Zach Fries and I'm from Orangevale, California. As far as the recall goes, it's just another indicator of the division in the state. I don't agree with everything Governor Newsom has done, and he is certainly human and fallible, but I just don't see the benefit of spending precious time and resources on a recall election when there are so many more pressing matters we need to address. You're listening to Countdown California, everything you want to know about the 2021 recall election of Governor Gavin Newsom. I'm Austin Cross coming to you from KPCC in Los Angeles, and I don't know about you, but I heard a good amount of frustration in that tape up there, along with some angst, a little bemusement. The state is looking at a recall election on September 14th, the second such election in 18 years. The major backers of this effort, the people who really want Newsom gone, identify as Republican. But while partisanship is definitely at play here, it's a little more complicated than red versus blue. Take Colleen Hoskins. She's a registered Democrat in Fresno, and she says she is delighted by the attempted recall of Newsom. His kids went to private school when our schools were closed down. He went out to dinner to a place without masks. When we couldn't go out, our restaurants were closed. Um, Like I say, it it seems like it's do as we say and not as we do. Nancy Pelosi had to get her hair cut during the time of when we couldn't get our hair cut. Colleen was at a rally for Republican candidate Kevin Faulkner, by the way. So you see, it's not exactly clear how this recall thing is gonna turn out. And it's quite possible we could end up with new leadership come September. To talk now about how we got to this point, we are bringing out the big guns. Marisa Lagos is a correspondent for KQED's California Politics and Government Desk. Hey, Marisa. Hey. Mike Madrid is a political consultant and co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Hey, Mike. Hey, great to be with you. And Nicole Nixon is the politics reporter for Cap Radio in Sacramento. Hello to you, Nicole. Hey. The big thing hanging over this recall is, of course, the pandemic. So just to get the most obvious question out of the way, would we be even having an election if it weren't for COVID-19, Marisa? Probably not. And the big reason does seem to be a sort of mix of timing and bad luck and maybe some decisions the governor shouldn't have made. But essentially, you know, last November, the backers of this petition went to a judge and said, hey, because of COVID-19, it's been difficult for us to collect signatures. We'd like a few more months. They were granted that. Newsom's folks did not really show up in court, from what I understand, to object to that. And ultimately, that gave both the time and then kind of coinciding with some other events like the spike uh, in cases during the winter months the lockdowns that Newsom reinstated, that famous French laundry dinner, really gave them time, energy, and money coming in around the state and and nationally to do this. I do think it's always important to know that French laundry dinner was obviously very ill-advised, but it was not actually against the the rules at the time. There was dining open. That's why that restaurant was open. Well, Nicole, there are a lot of people who are still mad about Newsom's French laundry incident. And I'm sure that's influencing some voters, but it's also worth bringing up that this recall is the sixth attempt to get rid of the governor. And those efforts started well before the pandemic. So remind us, what was driving this in the first place, if not COVID-19? Right. They actually filed this recall petition in February, kind of before COVID was on anybody's radar here. February 2020, that is. And a lot of the reasons that they stated were like, just Newsom's liberal policies in general, kind of, and California's stance on immigration, that sanctuary city law. 
And when I was talking to voters like back in January who were at these recall petition tables gathering signatures, you know, they mentioned COVID, they mentioned shutdowns, but a lot of what people were angry about, even during the peak of the pandemic here in California, were those same things. The immigration laws of California, spending money on health care for undocumented immigrants, which is something that was in the budget this year. The fact that homelessness is continuing to get worse in this state, even though we're spending more money on it. In Mike Madrid, this recall has been described as a GOP power grab. Here's Governor Gavin Newsom himself. I know we say this seri- this election is the most serious election. This is the most consequential election you're going to have an opportunity to vote on. I know it felt like that last year <laughs> as it relates to Trump, but we didn't defeat Trumpism. That's right. That's it's right. still alive and well in the state of California. It's on the ballot yeah. September 14th. You know, Mike, I'm thinking about the answer that Nicole gave about all these issues that people are interested in, and I'm certainly sensing some Trump energy here, but is it Trumpism or is it more to it than that? I think there's more to it than that, but there is certainly the energy and the excitement amongst the shrinking base of Republican voters. We have to remember that, you know, only one in one in five, one in four voters in California is a Republican. And while this vote base continues to shrink, it's getting not only more monolithic, it's getting more intense, it's getting more energized, it's getting more excited about being anything that is against the Democratic Party. In fact, in some of the you know intro pieces that you played here, you hear that same sentiment driving what people are for is really what they are against. And that energy, I think, is leading us into a new era where recall measures will become more commonplace. Mike, you mentioned that intensity. What's really underneath that, that voter intensity? There are some significant and very real public policy failures that are driving a lot of Californians across the board. Uh, crazy. Uh, people are not happy out there. There is a lot of room for anger. But there's really two major tectonic shifts that are really changing the electorate, at least on the Republican side. The first is there's a dramatic difference between the income levels of Republicans and non-Republicans in California and nationwide, for that matter. This widening split, this income inequality gap that we've come to term it as, has, has in fact created a very significant amount of not just economic anxiety, but a more negative and pessimistic view of the future. There's this belief that America's best days are behind it with a wide segment of the electorate. And the second, of course, is demographic change, which again, we uh, heard about in this opening segment as one of the reasons why people were citing illegal immigration as one of the reasons why they wanted to recall Gavin Newsom in the first place. So when you add these two together, this extraordinary demographic transformation that is happening, along with this economic anxiety, what you end up with is, again, a very uh, a small and shrinking, but very intense and, I would argue, explosive base of political energy that could be very socially disruptive. And uh, it's manifesting itself in right now. Turning back the clock a little bit, looking at the political landscape, the last time we had a recall way back in 2003 when Gray Davis was recalled and replaced with Arnold Schwarzenegger. How much do you think the political landscape has changed? Oh, gosh. It's a, a lot. That much, I mean, huh? <laughs> First of all, it was a much more even state. We didn't have this lopsided sort of um, registration advantage two to one for Democrats at the time, even if it was a more blue state. And this was before Trump. I mean, it really does feel like even though I don't think you can blame the former president for everything in our political system, I think he was a symptom of, of changes, not necessarily the cause of some of them. It did sort of speed up so much after 2016. And and I think that a lot of the divisions you're seeing here are part of that. And and a lot of them, as you mentioned, and Mike mentioned, are rooted in deep, serious policy issues and failures, quite frankly, of our society to deal with them. But I think, you know, this gets to this question over who do you blame? <laughs> is it fair to only point the finger at one person who has been in office, yes, for several years and is part of sort of the political establishment, but certainly, you know, didn't write a lot of the laws and, and policies that date back decades? Even if people don't love Newsom, I think that there's a lot more party loyalty among the base now than there was back then. We're talking about the California recall election and how we got here with Marisa Lagos from KQED, strategist Mike Madrid, and Nicole Nixon from Cap Radio. Nicole, most Californians have said they are against the recall, but as we keep hearing, recent polling shows it's pretty close with Democrats not nearly as enthusiastic to vote as Republicans. What have you heard from folks? 
That is just what I've been hearing from folks. I've talked to Democratic voters who are not particularly excited about this recall, but they are still voting and they're still voting no on the recall by and large, which is the only thing Newsom really needs them to do. But I had an interesting conversation with a millennial voter. His name is Sho Kawano, and he left the Democratic Party recently. He's become pretty disillusioned with their control of California, and that includes Gavin Newsom. So let's listen to what he said. I do feel the recall is kind of a waste of money, but at the same time, he, he kind of brought it on himself. And maybe this is just like a result of bad governance by the Democrats for, you know, who knows how many years. But yeah, I hope that uh, this recall kind of scares the people in charge a little bit. So he voted no on the recall. Do you get a sense that this apathy we keep hearing about among those on the left is changing at all? Well, what Show told me is at first he was undecided on the recall because he's so dissatisfied from a lack of results on things like housing costs and homelessness. But as he took a look at the field of candidates, he thought that the top handful that we're seeing would cause more harm than good. So he sort of reluctantly voted no on the recall. But I think this just shows that even if Newsom comes out of this, it's not going to be this easy, rosy path forward for him. And he might have to fight just as hard next year in a primary to convince Democrats to give him another shot. Marisa, there definitely seems to be a lot of excitement among those who want to recall the governor. We have talked about that at length, but do you think at this point there's enough of an argument on that side to persuade voters on the fence to vote yes on the recall? I I don't know that there is. I think there are hardcore Democrats who are very against this. And then I think there's a lot of people that Nicole was discussing who are more ambivalent, who may not be super happy with Newsom, but don't like the alternatives I think it's fair to say that not a single one of these candidates could win in a head-to-head against Newsom in this state. John Cox, you know, lost pretty significantly to him in 2018. Um, And so, you know, to Nicole's point, I think that this has been the challenge and the task for Democrats is to just get people motivated enough to fill out that ballot, to vote no. And I think she's right that this could really turn into a bigger challenge for Newsom down the line. I think it's entirely possible because of this recall that if he squeaks it out, we could see challenges from both the left and right next year within the Democratic Party because he appears so vulnerable. Mike, if we have established nothing else, it is that there are a lot of unhappy Californians out there. What are your thoughts about how close this is and why that might be? I actually believe that there's going to be a pretty decent turnout. I think about 53, 54 percent of voters will actually show up. People may not be excited about Gavin Newsom. I think that's clear. That's established. That's actually very true. But that does not mean that they're not going to vote. The driver for voting behavior is not who you're for. It's what you're against. And that's what people, I think, are missing here. So I think, you know, as things stand today, the numbers, the the simple math looks pretty good for the governor to hold on to this office. But it would take a really historic level of defection amongst Democrats in an extraordinarily partisan era for him to to do anything other than to, to hold on to the seat. Nicole Nixon, I want to ask you about messaging because the anti-recall effort has a lot of money in their coffers right now. Based off of what you've seen, are Democrats doing enough to talk about the stakes of this election to actually get people to cast their ballots? You know, in the last few weeks, I would say no, but I think you're starting to see more ads, like, for example, pointing to the governor's handling of the pandemic and talking about what the other candidates would do if they won, which is basically roll back a lot of these mask and vaccine requirements that the governor has put out there. I think that this is something Newsom has been doing a lot more of, but it's he can do he can still do more and not just on the pandemic, but on things like climate change and shifting away from fossil fuels toward renewable energy. Of course, this is all sort of politically tricky territory because people are so divided on a lot of these issues. I don't think he has drawn enough distinction between himself and like his vision for California and what could happen if a Republican like Larry Elder wins. Mike, a lot of attention has been paid to whether or not Latino voters will actually turn out for this election. Have Democrats done enough to reach out to that particular voting demographic? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot of polling, public polling that has come out is showing Latinos uh, tend to be the one demographic that is the most pro-recall at this point in time. I take issue with most of those because it's not unusual for Latino voters to have 
widely different opinions about four, four or five weeks out of an election contest when we know that historically the 30-year trend for Latinos is to, one, be very late deciding last seven days of the election, um, which I think will also lead to a very large rush of, of ballots being cast in the last week, but and also gelling in a very historical pattern for the Democratic candidate and the Democratic Party. So I think that more can always be done. I'm always going to argue that more can be done for more civic engagement. I'm not going to suggest it's not extremely difficult in a time of pandemic, and especially with a sprint like a special election in a state as enormous as California is. But it does seem to be that, well, a lot of the concerns that were being um, posited about the Gavin Newsom campaign and the lack of interest and lack of effort being put into the mobilizing the Latino vote have been ameliorated. It is getting better. And we'll just have to wait and see what turnout actually looks like. And Marisa, while some of the charges against Newsom are not a good look for him, we talked about the French Laundry, they're not crimes. There's no evidence he violated his oath of office in any way. And these points may be lost on people who are sick and tired of all sorts of things. But what can and should Newsom point to that shows he's done an okay job so far? I mean, the hospital rates. What we're seeing in all of the states like Texas and Florida, where, quite frankly, most of the Republican challengers point to as models, are full ICU beds, huge case spikes, huge death spikes. And I do think that even if you're not happy with the way that Newsom handled everything during this pandemic, just overall, I've been tracking this throughout the last year and a half. We have done significantly better. It's not been perfect. It's been very challenging economically and 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 mentally and, and in a million ways. But I do think that Newsom and the Democrats do have sort of the data on their side when it comes to pandemic outcomes. And I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to see if that motivation that I that I think was there, especially in the winter when this petition was still circulating, uh, remains. And if and if they can bring in, say, small business owners who might be Democrats, um, are they still angry now that kids are back in schools? And even if mask mandates and vaccine mandates are still on the table, that you have so much more just an, an economy that is open and starting to rebound. If Gavin Newsom makes it through this, Mike, and I'm thinking about this progressive voter that Nicole spoke to, what should he take to heart about this whole thing? And what should he maybe prioritize if he's hoping to run again? Yeah, that's a really great question. And it's actually one that I was kind of publicly critical of the governor about early on by not taking this uh, whole recall effort as seriously as I think that he should have. There is a very real set of problems in California that are facing uh, people today. There is very valid reasons for the anger that people are feeling. And I think it's a, 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 date, a great level of disrespect to not acknowledge that that exists out there. Um, so I think I would just advise seriously recommitting to starting to focus on some of those issues like rising crime, which is becoming one of the top issues, homelessness, which is the top issue, housing and affordability. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I think people are just feeling overwhelmed and feeling that government isn't capable of solving some of the problems in society today. Um, he's going to have to get a handle and, and start really running the ship of state in a much better way uh, going forward if he is successful in pushing this thing back. That's political strategist Mike Madrid. We're also joined by KQED's politics correspondent, Marisa Lagos. She also co-hosts Political Breakdown, the podcast and the show, along with our guy, Scott Schaefer. And Nicole Nixon reports on politics for Cap Radio. Thank you all for coming on. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Austin. Thanks. Stay with us after the break. We will talk about what happens after the recall and how things might change depending on the outcome. That's just ahead. Public radio programs attract educated consumers and business decision makers. You can reach this highly desirable audience with your company's marketing message on KPBS. Isn't it time to make our listeners your customers? Find out how by calling 619-594-5715 today. I'm not just fighting for me. I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for the values of the state. And there's a lot at stake because... 
in these elections, who knows what could happen? Welcome back to Countdown California, your guide to the 2021 recall election. That was Governor Gavin Newsom, and I'm Austin Cross, coming to you from NPR member station KPCC in Los Angeles. We are looking at the events leading up to the recall election for Governor Gavin Newsom, as well as the potential effects that a recall could have here in California. So far this hour, we've explained how the election process itself will go down, We've also gone through the timeline of events that led up to this moment in an effort to understand the energy behind the recall. If you have missed any of today's show, you can always listen to it on our website. That's laist.com slash LA report, L-A-I-S-T, if you are writing that down. Now, let's talk about the future after the votes have been counted and after California voters have rendered their verdict. Regardless of how things turn out, safe to say things will be a bit different on the other side. Zach Corser heads the policy lab at Claremont McKenna College in Claremont, California. And Jessica Levinson is a law professor at Loyola Law School and a contributor for KCRW in Los Angeles. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Great to be with you. Jessica, just to start off, this recall has faced a legal challenge over its constitutionality, but... Recently, a federal judge struck that down. What were the people behind the lawsuit hoping to accomplish? This was a fascinating lawsuit, and the people behind it were arguing that the recall itself is unconstitutional. And they said that because they argued that the recall violates the Equal Protection Clause based on undermining the principle of one person, one vote. And really what they were saying is, It's not only a practical problem, but it's a legal problem if you have a situation where, let's say, there's 100 people who vote and 51 people vote in favor of the recall. So Governor Newsom is recalled, but then only eight people vote in favor of whoever the next governor is. Let's just pick Larry Elder. And what they said is that that mismatch is a problem and the fact that Governor Newsom cannot under the California Constitution, appear on the ballot on that second question, that that denies his voters the ability to weigh in and pick the candidate of their choosing. But what did the judge rule ultimately? The judge said, I think correctly, no. If you have a problem with that, then change the California Constitution. And the reason that the judge said that I think can best be explained by the fact that these are really two separate elections that just occur on the same ballot as a matter of practical and administrative ease. So if, for instance, you imagine that on Monday, we decided whether or not Governor Newsom should be recalled, and then on Thursday, we pick his replacement, then we have very clearly two separate voter inquiries, and that completely dissolves the one-person, one-vote question. And it basically, the legal argument falls apart at that point. Once you can disentangle those two questions and see that they are two distinct inquiries. And that's essentially what the judge said. Now, I think this will be appealed to the Ninth Circuit. I don't have high hopes for the plaintiffs, uh, in part because of where we are in the election cycle, in part because I just don't think it's the strongest legal argument. Well, Zach Corser of Claremont McKenna, the recall election will take place on September 14th. If Newsom does hold on to his job, though, it's a little bit awkward now, right? I mean, is he limping after this or can he walk it off? Well, you know, as I, I had... Um looked at the polling recently, and there's uh, some interesting discontinuities. Uh, There's a CBS poll that's out recently that shows Newsom's job rating at 57%. uh, And in the same poll, uh, should Newsom be recalled, it's 48% to 52% no. And so what explains this, this weird discontinuity? And I think it has a little bit to do with just the sort of challenges and disruption of our politics right now. I don't know that Newsom is is really as unpopular as a recall might suggest. You know, there was obviously uh, some different circumstances over how the recall was approved. Uh, For example, you know, it was largely Republicans that were organizing um, this whole effort. Plus, they got an extension to get signatures due to COVID. I mean, it's, it's a really turbulent political moment. 
And all of this is to say, you know, is is Newsom, you know, as a personally as as a governor, uh, wildly unpopular, like say Gray Davis was in two thousand three. I really don't think he is, and so I think he could really come out of this saying, "Look, this is a, a vote of confidence by the California electorate." He'll, you know, it obviously depends on on the outcome. If if he wins by, you know, within a percentage point, that's going to be tougher to spin. Uh, if he makes it by, you know, three or four or five points, he'll just say, you know, this was a tremendous waste of the uh, taxpayers' money and the voters' time. So there's a lot of ways he can spin this, but I don't know that, you know, surviving a recall necessarily means that he will be a wounded political warrior moving forward. Jessica, just to tie these two points together, if Newsom does survive this challenge, do you think there would be an effort to change recall laws or thresholds in California to prevent these really costly challenges in the future? Yeah, I certainly think that there could be. I mean, if there if there are some truisms in California, it's that we're always looking to reform certain processes, including, for instance, direct democracy. But, you know, we tend to have a lot of excitement right before and right after elections to change our electoral processes. And then things just kind of fizzle out. I will say Well, I think we have really overly generous systems of direct democracy, including the initiative, the recall, the referendum. Any change would have to go to the people. And the people tend to be consistent really only on one issue, which is don't take power away from me when it comes to voting. And so any change, I think, would have to thread a very difficult needle of explaining to people that it would save our time and resources, but also not looking like it's taking the ability to vote and weigh in away from uh, the electorate in California. And to the credit of the people who might in their heads say, don't take power away from me, it sounds like it's not perfect, but it is something that could be very valuable in case of emergency, right? So I actually think that we have a really good system of that we don't appoint people, for instance, to be governor for life. We have elections. And in fact, I think we have term limits that are too stringent. So are there situations where maybe you need to pull a safety valve and have a recall? I'm sure there are, but they're very few and far between. And I think the way we have it set up, the fast time and money and waste of time and money, um, really outweighs the benefit, at least of how our system is set up right now. This is Countdown California, your handy guide to the 2021 recall election. I'm Austin Cross coming to you from NPR member station KPCC in Pasadena. And I'm joined by Claremont McKenna, Zach Corser and Jessica Levinson from Loyola Law School. Zach, it's anyone's guess what might happen here. But if this recall goes through, how does political life in Sacramento immediately change? And I would imagine that the answer starts with it depends on who gets elected. right? Oh, yeah. You know, we've been talking about Larry Elder as being a front runner. Um, he's obviously going to come at this, I think, from a more sort of Trump playbook, total political warfare kind of position, you know, where he's not looking to compromise with the legislature. He's looking to make political hay off the conflicts between the legislature and himself and between the Republican and the Democratic Party. Well, I think it's going to mean uh, a kind of gridlock uh, and a kind of continual pushing of issues uh, back to the people, whether it be through a proposition or whether, you know, Elder tries to explore, for example, you know, what he can do unilaterally as governor, such as, you know, his line item vetoes over the budget, they still won't matter as much given the supermajorities in the legislature. Now, if you get somebody else, um, let's say, you know, Falconer from San Diego, I think you'll probably see something closer to like Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, after the recall, where there is at least an attempt at the beginning to collaborate with the legislature, try to find areas of common interest, try to actually change policy. Um, There's a state of emergency now, obviously, with COVID. There was a fiscal state of emergency with Schwarzenegger that kind of forced them to work together. Uh, If you get a Democrat, obviously, uh, the Democratic Party has moved to uh, discourage anyone from voting at all uh, on the second question about replacement. But there are Democrats on the ballot. And let's say one gets through. It might really might just be sort of business as usual, because I don't know that, you know, necessarily you can point to any one thing that Newsom was doing 
that was really necessarily outside the bounds of what the Democratic Party uh, in California is for. I mean, I'm definitely hearing that a new governor would have limited powers to change policies. And Jessica, a Republican governor, might be tempted to use executive orders to try to implement their agenda if they can't work with the legislature. But how much could they actually govern without that support? Look, I mean, Democrats obviously have a supermajority in both houses in California. And so the governor really has to, if it's a Republican, work with them because otherwise the legislature could override a veto. So what can a governor basically do alone? Well, this is true if there's a new governor, it's true for a current governor, which is you have executive authority in terms of executive orders, you have appointment power. And so you could see a governor try to, for instance, appoint like every vacancy in executive agencies, uh, try and change the shape of the state judiciary. Um, and I think that's maybe where we would see the most movement and or roll back current executive orders, say, we're no longer in a state of emergency and I'm pulling back on these COVID protocols, of course, the legislature could then basically have a conversation with the governor in the form of legislation and try and override some of those actions. And Jessica, on the issue of appointments, and this is a hypothetical, but something a number of people in political circles are talking about, should anything prevent Senator Dianne Feinstein from doing her job for whatever reason? The person who wins this recall election would get to choose her successor. And that could affect not just California, but the entire nation as well. Line that one out for us. Well, obviously, we stand at a precarious moment where the Senate is divided evenly 50-50 and uh, the vice president, uh, Kamala Harris, is the tie-breaking vote. Now, we've all learned certainly that the Senate, for a lot of things, actually needs more than 50 votes. But obviously, if the balance of power changes and it does become, even for a little bit of time, a 51 for Republicans, then that will change basically everything that Democrats hope to accomplish by just uh, having that 50 plus Kamala Harris um, majority. My guess is if this hypothetical situation occurs, that it's not long term, because I don't think in California that we would reelect a Republican who would likely be appointed by one of the Republican gubernatorial candidates. So I don't think that seat is, quote unquote, gone for Democrats for decades to come. But certainly in the short term, it could make a big difference. Zach, anything you'd add to that? Just the idea that, you know, we, we've seen this unprecedented number of opportunities for a California governor to replace statewide office holders. And there's one important distinction to be made between, say, a statewide office holder who serves in a state office versus appointing a vacancy at the U.S. Senate. Uh, for those California offices, the, the governor has to have approval from the legislature. For a senator, he or she does not. And so in this case, this is one of those instances where uh, the governor could act unilaterally without the legislature. Wow. Jessica, aside from California's Senate seat, there are a bunch of other statewide departments that a governor has a lot of power over. Could that maybe take California policies if there was a Republican governor, at least temporarily in a different direction politically when it comes to things like the environment or even the courts? Sure. I think that it could take California in a maybe incrementally different different position. So we do have a number of agencies in California where the governor has appointment power. Um, we, of course, have the state court system where our state court judges are either elected or appointed. And so you could see shifts on those levels. So if you want to see, you know, what type of departments are we looking at? I mean, think about departments that handle environmental issues, even political corruption, political reform. Um, and... And then, of course, judges have a lot of power when it comes to uh, state legal issues. And you could, I don't think you could change the face of the California state judiciary, but you could certainly change some of uh, the makeup in some places. And so, obviously, this is a position that does have a lot of power. Zach, we've talked a lot about what could happen to California if Governor Gavin Newsom is recalled, but... To close, I got to ask, what could happen to Newsom if he gets recalled? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, he's got 
maybe three options in front of him. One is, you know, sort of the, the Cincinnatus route, right? Where he goes back to his vines and his vineyard and resumes a uh, private life. I, I don't think that's very likely. One option open to him maybe is the Biden administration. You know, Biden is very open and to having uh, Californians serve in his administration. You know, we've seen that uh, Eric Garcetti has now been appointed to an ambassadorship. Maybe that's something that uh, Newsom would be interested in. Maybe there could be other appointments in, Biden, in the Biden administration that could um, give him a national profile and sort of extend his political life, particularly if he's thinking possibly, despite the recall, he could run for president. And the third option, which I think is probably the most likely, is he basically just immediately declares himself a candidate for governor uh, at the next election. And basically, spent you know uses the money that he's already raised and whatever additional monies he's he's you know will raise um, to basically retake this office as a kind of vindication that it was a Republican recall, you know that turnout was low, um, that whoever was elected was elected with a plurality of votes, not a majority, um, and really come in at, come at it with a head of steam. Potential Newsom comeback story. Jessica, what do you think? What would become of Newsom if he was recalled? Oh, I totally agree with Zach. I don't think he's going anywhere. I mean, I think the reason why in some ways he's not a more beloved figure is that people sense that he's a very ambitious politician. Of course, there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that he has elected office out of his system yet. And I totally agree that I don't think this is the type of political damage uh, if he is recalled, that Gray Davis endured. Now, of course, we're going to have to look at, if he is recalled, the numbers, the number of people who voted for the recall, uh, the number of people who weighed in in the election at all, and then the number of people who voted for, uh, if there is a new governor, the new governor. And that could really point the way forward for his future. But I do not think we've seen the last of him on an election ballot. Jessica Levinson is a law professor at Loyola Law School and a contributor for KCRW in Los Angeles. And Zach Corser heads up the Policy Lab at Claremont McKenna College in Claremont, California. Thank you both for coming on. And thank you for listening to Countdown California, your guide to the 2021 recall election coming to you from NPR member station KPCC in Pasadena. If you have missed any of our discussions today, you can hear the program again online at last.com slash LA report. You can also find our handy voter game plan up on the site. That's laist.com if you have a pin. Countdown California is produced by Megan Larson with help from Fiona Ng, Donald Paz, Sophia James, and the California Newsroom. A big thank you to all of our guests, as well as KQED's Alex Hall and Fresno for providing tape of those voters. I'm Austin Cross. You can also follow me on Twitter. You can find me there waiting just for you at Austin Cross. Now that you are in possession of the facts, it is the sincere hope of your public radio station that you exercise your right to vote either by mail or at a voting center by September 14th. Thanks, everybody.